Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following lesson is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Wednesday evening Bible study. Additional information about the Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. And uh, we promised you three messages related to Stephen, the first deacon. And so uh, we looked at his ministry and how he could do the same things as the, apostle, the apostles could do, the apostle Peter could do. And we looked at his message and how he preached a long one, but a good one. And this time we're going to look at his martyrdom. But let me tell you a little story before we get into the text. Uh, around A.D. 163, so whew, that's a long time ago, the fourth of ten major persecutions against Christians broke out in the Roman Empire. The history of the Roman Empire before it kind of disintegrated was ten major times of persecution uh, against the Christians. A lady named Felicitas was a Roman lady of high rank who became a born-again believer. So uh, she had all these Roman connections, but she came to know Christ. She had seven sons who she brought up in the Christian faith. At that, at that time, the empire experienced a few years of earthquakes, famines, and floods, and the Christians were accused of causing these disasters. Uh, because they would not worship the emperor and the old gods. They said, well, Zeus and all the gods are angry at us, and uh, that's why these things are happening, because Christians won't get with the program and fall into line worshiping our Roman gods. So Felicitas and her sons were seized and put on trial for her faith. Now, the governor in their region was Publius, and uh, he began with Mama first, hoping he could get her to renounce her faith, by telling her if she didn't, he would kill all of her sons before her, her eyes if they didn't renounce their faith. He urged her to lead by example, renounce her faith so her and her boys could live. Well, what would you do? Man, we love our kids. Uh, I don't think anybody here has got seven of them, but we love our kids, right? We love them. We love them. We want them to prosper. Um, would you like to know what she did? Well, sure you would. I'll tell you after a while. Leave you with bated breath there, wondering what happens. But there is a link between mothers and martyrs. <laughs> mothers and martyrs, right? We know about Mother's Day. Well, we're going to talk about the first Martyr's Day from the Bible today. But John 15 says, No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And then Jesus said, You are my friends if you do what I command you. And, you know, I've often thought about those wonderful words, and of course they make us think of those who die uh, for a noble cause uh, so that their country can remain free, preserve liberty and things like that. We're seeing lots of examples of that in Ukraine right now. And some of you had a family member or a friend that served somewhere in the world at some time and maybe didn't make it home. And we think about those at Memorial Day that paid that ultimate price. Uh, but the way Jesus said that, um, greater love has no one this thing, lay down their life for their friends. It's not just being willing to die. It's also be willing, being willing to adjust your schedule and to adjust your priorities so that you can do what God wants you to do. 
And who's that true of more than mothers, right? Um, a mother lays aside much of what her life could have been about for the high calling of bringing up her children, the fear and admonition of the Lord. So great is a faithful Christian mother's reward in heaven. So I'm thinking of this Felicitas, even though we're going to talk about um, Stephen in a minute here. Um, and we need to reinforce that message, though, don't we? Just a little aside here. A number of uh, men and women now are deciding to uh, not have children, viewing them as burdens rather than blessings. Uh, and it does take a lot of work to have children and to love them and to pray for them. And some of them turn around and curse you and their God, you know, and those type things. Uh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's God's plan. And, um, and there's many rewards. I'll never be sorry that I was my kid's dad, you know, even though I want to see God working them in the now, you know, the two boys especially. So a mother, but then there's also a martyr. A martyr lays down his life to give people access to the gospel who may not have had it otherwise. And great is a faithful martyr's reward in heaven. So as I said, this is the third of three messages about the life and impact of Stephen. And it's just this wonderful, so many great stories in the book of Acts. But Stephen's right up there is just a great story for the Lord. You say, well, Danny, they killed him. Well, it didn't hurt him too bad. He went straight to be with Jesus, you know, and uh, that's uh, just how it goes, you know. Um, but just as Israel's fathers had resisted the prophets, Israel's present leaders had rejected their Messiah, and now they were um, persecuting uh, pastors, deacons, others sharing about the Lord. So Acts 1.8 said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the word for witness in the Greek is the word we get martyr from. So... Uh, you know, it wasn't that they were saying, I want to be a martyr. I'm going to go get somebody to kill me for the faith. They were witnessing. Uh, Marturo, marturio are the words. There's several that come in there, you know, with the endings and things like Greeks like Spanish and other languages that have different kinds of endings. But it all comes back down to this concept of being a witness, being a testifier, being a, a martyr. Um, so many Christians died for their witness in the early church. The word martyr became synonymous with dying for the faith, even though it really is just the word for witness. Of course, here's your fill in the blank here. No Christian's goal is to die for the faith. All Christians should have the goal to be faithful in our witness for the Lord. And when we're faithful in our witness for the Lord, history reveals that some of us will wind up dying for the faith. Now, humanly speaking... We would say that the worst thing that could happen to somebody when they're witnessing would be to be killed for the faith. But the scripture teaches that if the worst thing happens, there's actually a reward nobody else gets in heaven for those who encounter that worst thing. So in Revelation 2.10, we saw the great verses, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Um, think about the, I think it was the 50s when Jim Elliott and his friends were killed on the beach by the Warani Indians. They, that's their tribal name. Everybody else called them Akas, which means savages. Um, and they... They didn't know what to think about a helicopter in the air and these men whirling down through them with big, goofy Christian smiles on their face and things like that. The missionaries were just trying to make contact with them so they could get to know them, love on them, and bring the gospel to them. 
They didn't know that's what they were there for. They were very weary of the outside world. Uh, others had encroached on their territorial properties already, including gas companies and things like that. So they took out their spears and killed all five of them, including Jim Elliott. And uh, Life magazine, back in the 50s, ran a headline, said, Why this waste? Well, that's how humans think about things, right? That's the 50s. I got one from yesterday. Hardline Muslims kill evangelist at open-air event. Hardline Muslims who grew furious at the preaching of a speaker at an open-air evangelistic event last week in eastern Uganda beat him to death and burned his body, sources said. He was 43, just trying to reach out in love for the Lord, and they killed him. We say, why this waste? And God says, uh, we'll see in a minute, I've got to quote somewhere in there for you. Tertullian from the early church said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You've probably heard the story of Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's widow, went back to that tribe and before too long, they started getting saved. Uh, and they had remorse for, uh, you know, killing these missionaries. And some of the elders, 30 years later, some of the elders from the tribe uh, were among those who had killed Jim Elliot. And they played freely with his grandchildren. Um, woo! Pretty powerful, right? You know? Um, not only that, at Christian colleges across America and even around the world, people said... They heard the story of Jim Elliot, and he had this quote that said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. When I was first a student at Bryan, that was above the mailboxes. And I looked at that as a freshman. I had no idea what it meant. I looked at that as a sophomore. I had no idea what it meant. It took me till just about graduation or even the three years I spent there as a recruiter to realize how cool that quote is, you know. Because we just don't think like that, right? We think the faith is going to be a supplement for me to, uh, you know, we think in Joel Osteen-like terms too often, even though you're better taught than that. You know, we think in terms of what's in it for me if I have faith in Christ. And we tend to make principles promises, you know, like if I'm in the church and raise my kids there, then everything will go hunky-dory always and stuff like that. And experience doesn't show that. We've just bought into that. Scriptures don't say that. We've just bought into that, right? Um, but uh, I knew what that meant. And across the colleges and seminaries, people said, I'm in. I'm in. So a whole wave of missionaries that have done unbelievable things around the world signed up after that. It all started with the first guy to get killed for the faith, Stephen. So let's look at this. Acts 7, verse 54. And I think I'm back in the first four verses next time with chapter 8, but I'm going to read down through verse 4. So here we go. It says, When they heard these things, the things Stephen preached, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a, cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. No, I don't want to hear that! And ran at him with one accord. Uh, man, they tried to run him over with a car. Honda Accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. I sure would like to know if the deacon Philip was one of those pallbearers. Because there's a time later in Acts where Paul's going through the city of Caesarea and he stays with Philip the deacon and his four profiting, prophetess daughters. Um, I, I bet he was. That's what God can do. So the very man that was in on killing, he later has relationship. We know he has relationship with him, uh, but uh, I wonder if he was one of those pallbearers. But we know he meant a lot. You know, they were served on a deacon board together. They got to know each other. And they made great lamentation over him. As for Saul... He made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Well, the first martyr's day is what we're looking at here. So we see in those verses that end chapter 7, Stephen's faithful witness leads to his death. So we talked about his message last time, how he pressed his hearers on the fact that their Messiah had come. And instead of receiving Jesus and gaining eternal life, they had rejected Jesus. Um, had they let Stephen continue, he would have given them the hope of the gospel, just like Peter did in Acts 2. Um, but they were so hardened of heart, it says instead in verse 54, they were enraged in their hearts and even gnashed their teeth at him. Now, take your teeth, if you got them. If, if you're working with false teeth, I can't help you here, but take those teeth and gnash them a little bit together. Doesn't take much for that to really get annoying, but they were so angry. You know, I don't know if you've ever gritted your teeth or something and stuff, but that's how angry they were. They're like, we're going to kill him you know, is how they were doing there. And it, it's not a good thing. But as Stephen talked about seeing the Jesus they had killed very much alive in heaven and at the right hand of God, they had heard enough. I mean, that's the stuff of tantrums, isn't it? They stop, they cry out, they stop their ears. And a little quiz for you. When he says he sees Jesus standing at the uh, right hand of God, he says he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What... Um, Old Testament prophet had mentioned that the Son of Man would come back in the clouds, but he'd be right there beside the Ancient of Days. Uh, what prophet had talked like that? Daniel. Very good, Daniel. Um, so Daniel 7, Daniel 9, you talk about the Son of Man. And um, Ezekiel uses the phrase Son of Man too, but it's not really about the Messiah. Daniel's clearly talking about the God-man that he sees in heaven. And here Stephen sees him right there, uh, not sitting at the right hand of God, but standing at the right hand of God. It said after Jesus finished his work, he returned to heaven and he sat down, right? Old Testament prophecies had predicted that he sat down by the right hand of God. And so he, he was he's seated there, but Stephen saw him standing, and we might talk more about that in just a moment. Um, and again, they're screaming at the top of their voices. These are not teenage girls at a Beatles concert. Uh, I, the closest experience I had to that, I don't know if any of y'all saw the Beatles when they came I don't know if they ever came to Danville, did they? But, you know, the, you've seen the pictures of people screaming so much you can't even hear the songs. I went to a Duran Duran concert, drove from Charlotte to Greensboro one time with a buddy and some cute girls and when I was in high school. And we saw Duran Duran at the Greensboro Coliseum. And they were, you know, top, they had several songs in the top ten at that time. And there were so many teenage girls screaming there. It was my own Beatles-like experience. It was awful. You know, here you pay money to hear songs. Can't hear the songs because the girls are losing their mind and screaming and things. Here they're losing their mind because they hate what Stephen has said. It says they rush against him, they drag him out of the city, and they begin to stone him. Now, why did they stone him? That's what the Old Testament said you're supposed to do if somebody's blaspheming, right? So... They said, let's cut out even involving Rome on this one. 
But we're so sick of these Christians sharing about Jesus. We're not going to try to arrest them. We're not going to try to deal with Rome with them. Let's just take him right out and stone him to death. Uh, I threw my stone with my left hand because I'm left-handed there. But, um, and you think about that. We gnashed our teeth a minute ago. David almost brought a rock and just start throwing it at individuals of you that could maybe take it and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that's not, that, that doesn't feel too good, does it, you know? Um, sometimes a rock will get kicked off a mower or something on you and you go, oh, wow, that hurt a little bit and things like that. But here they were taking these jagged rocks and they were throwing them. And you can just imagine the pain of the first blow, the second blow. Um, and uh, it's interesting that Paul's right in on this happening as Saul because later he says that happened to him. You know, they tried to stone him to death later. Um, and we'll see that as we go through the book of Acts. But um, even so, in the midst of this Basically, being stoned to death, Stephen had the presence of mind to speak a final word of trust in Christ and a final word of forgiveness toward those who had treated him so. Um, I don't know. I hope I'd encourage them to turn to Christ even though they're killing me. I'd probably say, you're going to hear from my lawyers! <laughs> you know? Don't you know about religious liberty? Oh, wait, that's not a thing yet, you know? Uh, but... Uh, Stephen's faithful witness leads to his death. Well, verse 56, Christ's fascinating response from heaven. Verse 56, it says, uh, He uh, said, Stephen, look, I see the heavens opened and a son of man standing at the right hand of God. The verse before that says it's Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, Stephen joins an elite company that as near as I can tell just involves Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, and John, he's able to see into heaven and see the glory of God. Paul doesn't tell us much about it. He says he was caught up the third heaven. Um, but uh, we know from Isaiah's writings, Ezekiel, etc., seeing this glory. What does he see there? He sees God's glory and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There's over a dozen times the New Testament speaks of Jesus seated at the right hand of God. But here Stephen sees Jesus standing up. So Jesus knew Stephen was about to die, and I believe he's standing up because he's like... Some of y'all disagree with this. I believe the saints in heaven are right there with Jesus, and they're looking down on the things of earth, and they're interceding about things going on on earth. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession for us. Even as we worship him there, why wouldn't we also be praying? Uh, you know, and I, I just feel like you know, when it says there's joy in the presence of angels, Luke 15, it doesn't say the angels are the ones rejoicing. They could be, but it says in the presence of the angels. God's in the presence of the angels. It can be Him, but why wouldn't it also be the saints? In Revelation 6, the martyrs there in heaven are shown knowing even bad things going on on earth and saying, how long, Lord, till you bring justice in this situation and stuff? So they're praying about even bad things. And people say, well, if, uh, if they were in heaven and knew about bad things going on on earth, wouldn't that uh, make them sad? And some people want to somehow believe that being in heaven will mean knowing less than we know now. That's Hinduism. That's Buddhism. They're the ones that teach that uh, people when they die are like a drop of water that goes in the ocean and the ocean takes over their existence. You know, you're just part of that collective death. Uh, we teach that I'll know fully even as I am fully known. You know, so anyway, there's some conjecture there, but I think it's based on good stuff. And... Uh, um, so I think Jesus is looking down because he's like, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm at a sporting event, I stand up when something big's happening. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he hears this great witness Stephen's giving and it's almost like he stands up and starts heaven standing ovation for this one that is doing well. Well done, now good and faithful servant, right? Um, 
So his fascinating response, and just what a picture for us to feast on, you know. Um, Jesus, the Lord that saved us, who's forgiven us, who, over, who overlooks our constant uh, uh, departures and um, wanderings, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, but he loves me so. We sang the song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. And uh, Stephen is going through on earth the worst thing that will happen to him. But one second after death, his spirit's already going to be with the Lord. Probably a millisecond, right? And Jesus is saying, well done. What they saw was a body that was killed. Probably some said, that's a shame. Probably others said, let's get a lawyer, you know, other things. And uh, Jesus said, watch what I do now. Watch what I do now through this bad thing happening in, on, or through earth eyes but heaven's going to use this for what matters eternally, eternally. Verses 1 through 4, the gospel's continuous advance on earth. So chapter 7, verse 58 lets us know that as Stephen was being stoned, they laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Later we learn that uh, it appears Saul had bad eyesight. So if he'd thrown a rock, he'd probably hit one of his own guys with the rocks, right? I'll get you and throw it. Hey, stop throwing stuff, Saul. You just hold the coats, you know. Um, but his eyesight was good enough to be a conspirator in bringing other Christians. And we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts, um, ISIS terrorists had nothing on Saul, you know. Uh, you don't have to read far between the lines. You're reading the lines and you go, Saul was responsible for the death of Christians and later he was one of them. He clearly was giving approval as Stephen died and might have even been more of the ringleader. We know it's not too long till he is orchestrating persecution against believers. In fact, just turn to Acts 9, verses 1 and 2, and we'll see a little bit of how he was still in this mindset when he was um, going to Damascus to get more uh, to die, and Jesus saved him on that Damascus road. Chapter 9, verse 1, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were there of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Wow. Man, some kind of religious leaders, huh? We've got to stop the way. We've got to stop the Jesus way. Uh, hey, hey uh, Rabbi, I'd like to have your permission to arrest um, Christians and uh, disappear them and have them reappear in Jerusalem. We'll kill them there and nobody will ever find the bodies and those type things. We'll send the message, right? And we know from a few verses later in chapter 9 that, uh, you know, when God worked through uh, good old uh, Ananias, right? Uh, the good Ananias. <laughs> when God worked through Ananias, not Ananias and Sapphira, but Ananias of chapter 9, he said, Lord, I've heard about that guy. You want me to reach out to that guy? And uh, so if God ever tells you to go ahead and love on and reach out to that guy, whether you're in the prison ministry or wherever you are, uh, say yes, you know, because he got to be the one to help us all get baptized upon professing his faith, which is pretty cool. In Galatians 1.13, Paul writes, For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. Um, he was definitely committed to silencing the witness of the first Christians. Turn back to chapter 8, verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off. It wasn't enough just to get the men folk. He got the women folk too, committing them to prison. 
But in God's grace and plan, the more they tried to crush the church, the more it multiplied disciples. Kind of like when you cut up a, the right kind of starfish. You think I'm, you're dealing with your starfish problem. Each time you cut it up, that one turns into another whole starfish, right? So you cut five legs off and you got five more starfish. And uh, they're pretty, pretty neat to think about. Um, verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over them. Now, we don't know what plans the apostles and the church were making to fulfill Acts 1.8. Uh, they might have been just about to launch teams all over the Roman Empire. We do know there was a whole bunch of salt, Christian salt, stacked up at Jerusalem. You know, so what did Jesus say? You are the salt of the earth. Well, up till this chapter, all the salt of the Christian faith was in one big pile there in Jerusalem. <laughs> it wasn't gone anywhere else, you know. But they might have. They might have had boards like this and they might have said, OK, we got 12. We're going to go different directions and things like that. Or they might have said, you know what? This church thing's pretty cool. We've got thousands here. Let's make it as big as possible because doesn't Jesus want us to be big? Well, he doesn't say big in Matthew 28. He says, go everywhere with this news, right? Take it to all peoples. Um, and uh, sometimes smaller churches do a better job of that than bigger churches. In fact, in the book of Acts, who is the star mission-sending church in the book of Acts? Is it that church in Jerusalem? Not really. I mean, only because uh, you can only say that because it's first. I mean, it's the, it's the granddaddy, right? But who's the, what's the best mission-sending church in all the book of Acts? Church of Antioch. We'll see it when we get to chapters 12 and 13. Um, so we do know that we've not yet read about them taking the gospel beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. So this persecution, here's your fill in the blank, wound up sending witnessing teams out in a way the church had not yet done uh, proactively. I'm going to write that word up here in case uh, you're not hearing me spell it. Proactively. Most of us live our lives reactively. But our faith really encourages to us to act proactively. Um, most of us are trying to get through this life without messing up too bad. <laughs> and so we react as things come to us, right? And uh, with our faith, we can be more proactive than that, you know, and, and think about it in every... I mean, we can just flip. I mean, you got a glass that's half full or half empty, right? Um, and I know I tend to be on the more optimistic side, but faith will do that to you. You know, I've been beat up a lot as a pastor and, you know, for different things serving the Lord over the years. Not everybody's liked me as a pastor and things like that. Um, but I've always tried to say, okay, what is, what's the way God's looking at this? You know, what we're looking at and saying is two years of dealing with COVID. Uh, and God might be saying, you know what? Y'all were so busy doing too much, running yourselves ragged. I'd rather you lose some things and focus more, you know. Um, and we just need to drop back and say, Lord, what are you trying to teach us through this time? You know, sometimes he's doing that to the individual when they have a health crisis. Um, I'm very excited when I read of a strong Christian philanthropist, a man that's given a lot of money to a lot of different things. And he said this, he said, your best decade serving the Lord is probably when you're in your 60s. Your second best is when you're in your 70s. Now, I'm in my 50s. I want to do some neat things in this decade, too. And I'm pretty excited about some of the things that happened as a younger man and things like that. But that encourages me, you know. Uh, when did Moses do most of his best stuff? How old was he? He was in his 80s. And with his, uh, 
you know, uh, big brother Aaron, who was 83, and the sister was in there somewhere too. She was older than Moses somewhere, so she's either 83 or 85, 81 and a half or 85 or something like that, right? Go Miriam. Uh, you know, and so you see many examples of that in the scriptures. No matter what age we want to be serving the Lord. Well, what they hadn't done proactively, now it's happening. Verse 4 says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, on earth they're thinking, Oh, our church was so great, and we had so many things going on. It was the coolest thing ever to be a part of. The only problem was Christ had given them the Great Commission, and they were a pile of salt rather than going out and salting the prisons and the schools and the neighborhoods and the neighboring towns and other places like that with the gospel, right? Um, and so what they viewed probably initially badly as a glass half empty, may have been more full than they thought. I think we can pray that way for these events in the Ukraine right now. By our human eyes, oh, it's just awful, you know. And yet we're seeing some amazing stories of love. And uh, maybe he's just, maybe, just maybe, some of these folks that are moving uh, further, uh, you know, west right now to be protected, um, maybe they're going to, in some of those Christian homes they wind up in, hear the gospel uh, and really turn to Christ. We're going to read as we go along, as they were scattered, they didn't shy back from witnessing because of seeing Stephen killed. They did what they had seen the apostles and Stephen the layman do. They proclaimed the good news of salvation in Christ. Some of them had seen Jesus do it. So you can arrest and kill Christians as they share, but the word of the gospel cannot be locked up. As Paul says in Timothy, I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but God's message is not bound. Aren't you glad God's message is not bound? That uh, you know, they can try to put up an iron curtain around the Soviet Union? Well, let's, let's just do China instead. There were less than one million Christians when China kicked the missionaries out during the Cultural Revolution. 800,000 is what we're told. Now they say there might be over 100 million. How are we going to make it without the missionaries here? They taught us so much. They loved us. They, uh, well, actually, they did most of the teaching and we were here uh, doing most of the learning. And uh, when we needed somebody to come to Jesus, we brought them to the missionary and they led them to Jesus. And they ain't here no more. Uh, boy, isn't it sad that they're not here anymore. What are we going to do? And then the first brother stepped up and said, Well, I guess, uh, you know, uh, they're not coming back, so I, I, I'll teach. And uh, a little bit of time passed. The Chinese government didn't like it. They sent him to prison. <laughs> Next guy stepped up and said, well, I, I'll do it. Um, they sent him to prison. And so and so it went. Um, and amazingly, the thing just kept growing and growing and growing. 800,000 to that many, uh, over 100 million. That verse I gave you toward the beginning, no one has greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. So now let's get our bearing right with this word martyrs, because some religions speak of martyrs as those who happen to die while killing others for their faith. We read of suicide bombers, right? Ooh, they're a martyr for Islam. Well, they're just a horrible person who hopefully repented at that last minute and turned to Jesus because they actually uh, indiscriminately killed men, women, and children by setting themselves, uh, you know, off, a bomb off on their vest. Um, and Saul was that kind of guy before he came to know Jesus, a terrorist motivated by hate. That's not what a Christian martyr is. A Christian martyr is not motivated by hate, but they're motivated by Love, love for Christ, love for souls. 
And, uh, and so they'll courageously put themselves in places not receptive of the gospel, just like this brother in Uganda did. He knew it was unsafe to go speak in a Muslim area about Christ and to say that Christ is everything Muhammad's not. Uh, he did it anyway. And there will be great stories about that in heaven we'll hear because of that dear brother doing that. We, of course, pray for his family and sometimes give to support them through open doors and voice of the martyrs. Um, you know what's sad is even many professing Christians criticize their fellow believers who go to difficult places. And uh, at the very least, we want to be among those that say, Woohoo! Man, they, they put themselves out there for the faith we hold dear, and God's used it. I think about Jim Elliott again. In Wheaton College, he would have told you that he was willing to give his life to reach the Warani Indians. He thought that would mean 30, 40 years of getting her done, writing prayer letters back to America, and then living a comfortable retirement in America. Instead, he got speared to death, first encounter there on the beach. Either way, what his heart's desire was happened, and then some as others were called forth. Interesting verse in Colossians 1. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. Have you ever seen that verse? That's a crazy verse, isn't it? Uh, because we know that there's nothing lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body. But Paul says that he was filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. And you go, wait a second. You got to think about that one a little bit because it's just like that Revelation 12 where it says we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's not the blood of the Lamb and our testimony. The blood of the Lamb alone conquers Satan. Our testimony is us saying that's all we're relying on. It's us as individuals getting in on what he did for us. Paul says that the Colossian church um, was lacking somehow in something that they should be doing for Christ, and Paul was meeting the need. He was standing in the gap. Well, obviously our suffering doesn't save people when Christ's work on the cross does. So what sense, in what sense is anything lacking that we can fulfill through any suffering and hardship we go through? Here's the best way I know how to say it. Jesus suffered to actualize salvation for those who will repent and believe. We suffer to give people access to that saving message. Sometimes we're just... Uh, spending time we could have been with our families or friends uh, at a ministry assignment instead. So we say, I've really got the time. I can be part of that good news club, or I can be part of the good news jail ministry, uh, or I could be an Awana worker, or I could help in any number of ways, right? Um, for missionaries, oftentimes it is, here's an unreached people group somewhere in the world and the churches here haven't gotten it done yet. We haven't taken them what they need. And somebody steps up and says, Tabernacle, if you'll support me. Southern Baptist Convention, if you'll support me. Uh, I'll go and do what you're not doing. To give those people access to what Christ's work can do for them. Whew! Stephen was the first one to do it. Why did he do it? Because of greater love. Um... Thank God Stephen was faithful unto death. This life really is short compared to eternity, and no one who pays the price to extend Christ's love to where it needs to go will be regretting it in their eternal home with Jesus. 
Y'all have seen, I think most in here have seen that I have a friendship with Jim Wojcik, who was the founder's uh, son for Scripture Memory Fellowship. The founder knew uh, the, uh, the barbers, and, uh, and then I was good friends with the son at the college. Well, he's pastoring in Dayton, Tennessee now at Grace Bible Church, uh, still a board member for Scripture Memory, but they've successfully made that transition to the next leader. Um, but when I went on a prison ministry weekend when I was at Bryan, uh, he gave me Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. And once again, I had no idea what it meant. You know, Here's what it says. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves. Of course, we get the song Bringing in the Sheaves from that. When I first saw those verses, I'm like, I have no idea what that means, Jim. Why'd you give me those? And uh, I'm not sure he explained it to me. I had to figure it out over time. So one day I finally understood. I was like, oh. You know, um, the committed farmer just goes back to the field. He uh, prepares the field, he puts the seed in, and um, he's at the mercy of elements beyond his control, right? Uh, he needs the rain to come in the right proportion, he needs the sun to come in the right proportion, he needs predators to stay away from his crop and all those different things. And, um, and there's a lot of humble dependence on God above, for all that. And of course, we've got all different ways to manipulate with water and, you know, uh, things like that. But ultimately, uh, if the Lord don't send the crop, the crop's not coming in. If the Lord don't build the house, they labor in vain who build it, right? Because God can send just the right amount of scorching heat to ruin anything, you know. Um, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. They've sacrificed uh, and uh, they carry the bag, they put it out there, and only in heaven will we know the full results. God's been so gracious to me, I mean, these last few years. Um, you know, uh, this is now 30-something years in the ministry. 10 as a student minister, and then 23 now as a pastor. And uh, I've, you know, had times in the past I felt beaten up on this or beaten up on that and that sort of thing. But God's been so good to me. It seems like everywhere I go, and, and for most people, a lot of people, this waits till heaven and stuff. You just don't know, right? But God's been very gracious to me. Even when I did a funeral two weeks ago in, uh, up in Waynesboro, a lady came up to me and was apologetic about some things she'd said. I didn't even know all she said, you know. You know yeah, I forgive you. Um, but uh, she said, Danny, I teach a Sunday school class now. And all the time I say, as Danny Campbell used to say, you know, that's encouraging. The Bible says share share with your teachers the things you've learned, you know, and that encourages them, and it really does. But um, ultimately, you know, only God knows all those that were saved because of Stephen's witness that day and those who were later saved who went on to make the kind of impact that Paul made. So it's never in vain as whatever suffering the Lord brings your way in your prayer life, uh, in your giving sacrifices there, in your participation in different things, uh, it, it all matters. That brings us back to Felicitatus. Uh, Felicity, uh, when urged by Publius to deny her faith so her sons would deny theirs, she refused. I mean, really, she, she really loved the Lord. What choice did she have? Publius said, if you don't, I'll have, your, have to kill your sons before your very eyes. But she was not about to deny Christ. So they brought in Januarius. Roman God January, right? Januarius, we still count from that month of January. Her eldest son, and he refused to deny Christ. 
So they scourged him and pressed him to death with weights before her, crushed him to death before her. Felix and Philip, her next two sons, had their brains dashed out with clubs as she looked on. Silvanus IV was thrown from a height to his death. The three younger sons, Alexander, Vitalis, and Martialis, were all beheaded. She was the last one slain with the same sword that had ended the lives of her three sons. What do you think was happening in heaven as that was happening? Oh, it's horrible as we view that on earth. But I imagine Jesus and Stephen might have been there saying, We are ready for you here. And you'll never go through anything like that again. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Due to the witness of people like Stephen and Felicitas, I mean, those, they're, they're, they're jailers, they're others around. They couldn't get over that a lady would have that kind of faith, you know. And that was happening empire-wide, you know. And it happened in China. It happened in Russia, uh, Soviet Union during those days. Uh, it's happened in Cuba. And, and you know, boy, uh, communists are fe featuring a lot of these things. North Korea, you know, and other world dictators along the way. Um, they estimate that half the Roman Empire was converted by the early 300s. I mean, they couldn't stop them, and they saw something supernatural there that they wanted. They wanted that power for themselves, and many did convert. Scholars tell us that more people have been martyred for Jesus in the last hundred years than the 1900 years before that. So that's how much it happens in our days. A lot in Nigeria right now, North Korea, other places. We saw this story, this brother from Uganda. Now, we're not trying to die for our faith, but the question is, are we being faithful for our faith, right? If we're faithful and make sacrifices that God calls us to make, there will be some suffering. And uh, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. Uh, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know? So keep being faithful, folks. And I hope that doesn't mean I have to preach one of your funerals as a martyr's funeral. Uh, but if I do, I'll, you, know, you would preach to me. You'd say, it wasn't a waste, Danny. You know, I was faithful and it happened, and uh, you encourage them to be faithful also, even if it means early death. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts, as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.